Acts chapter 13 is where we're going to be reading. And when you think about world evangelization, world missions, uh, as far as mission works are established, you might think about the Gospels and how Jesus sent out his disciples and how they went before him and preached the Gospel. But as far as the church... Uh, sending out mission teams, this is the starting point in many of our minds. And so we're going to look at this passage together this evening. If you're able to stand, please stand with us for the reading of the scripture. And um, we'll get right into the message. Now there were in the church, and I emphasize those three words, in the church, because the churches are central to the Lord's work of missions. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. This is a list of certain prophets and teachers that were in the church at Antioch. Verse 2 says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. God called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, when they, the church, had, had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And in verse 4 says, So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. Now they were sent, the church sent them away, but the church is the agency. God sent them. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And as they say, the rest is history. Let's pray as we get into Scripture. Father, please bless tonight as we study a very familiar passage of Scripture. And Father, we, we want to um, engage our minds and our hearts with your truth. And Lord, we, we come to the Word of God not as experts, not as know-it-alls. We don't come thinking we already know this. We come wanting to know it and know you better and have a better grasp of your will and be challenged in our faith and our obedience. And so, God, I pray you'd bless tonight your word to our hearts and our lives to your service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. So this great missionary endeavor, we sometimes call this the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Uh, this great missionary endeavor started, it began with a church, a local assembly like this. It began with a church. didn't begin with any external operations or organizations. It began with a church. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about these missionary endeavors that Paul and Barnabas were involved in, and then later on when Paul and Barnabas divided, and, and uh, Paul took Silas and Barnabas took John Mark, 
when we think about these missionary endeavors, we tend to think of Paul and Barnabas, these great spiritual leaders. They were really uh, men that God used in a great way. But I want us to, I think it would be to our benefit not just to think of this great missionary endeavor as just these two mighty men of God, but I'd like for us to think of it in terms of the body, the, organi the organism that they were a part of that, in, that resulted in them being sent out. And that organism was the church, the church they were in. And what I want us to think about tonight is, is what is a missionary, this was a missionary church, you have to agree. This was a missionary church. What does a missionary church look like? And we look at our text and we see, we see the model, we see the pattern. The pattern that was given to us in the scriptures and the pattern I think that we should follow and that was the local New Testament church being about the work of missions. I've said this a lot of times and I don't, I don't know that I say it too much but the only God-ordained agency to be involved in the work of missions is the, Lord, the church, the Lord's churches. And um, it was to the church that the great promise was given, the gates of hell shall not prevail against what? The church. Not some organization, not some fellowship. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And by the way, for this reason and numerous other reasons, every Christian should be an active, faithful, serving member of a scriptural New Testament church. Everyone. I know some people don't think that's important, but they don't get that reasoning from the Bible. So, so missionary activity depends on the Lord's churches. We're glad that we can fellowship as a church, our church, fellowship with numerous other churches in sending out missionaries. And uh, I'm glad that other churches fellowship with us and supporting the missionary family out of our church. But having said all that, just think with me for a moment. If we're going to see the work of missions increase, it'll be because the churches are going forward. Would you agree with that? It'll be because churches are being strengthened and, and a mission program is only as strong as the churches. And churches are only as strong as the members, right? So if we're going to think about increasing missionary activity, and, and I don't mean just increasing money or increasing men. I'm talking about increasing our footprint in the world. We have to, it all comes back to the condition of churches. So with that in mind, I want us just to look at this passage, and I want to evaluate church life uh, in light of some of the things we see in the Antioch church. Now, there are more things here that I'm going to mention tonight, but I'm going to mention some that I think are especially important. So here's some characteristics just directing our attention just to this text about this church. And the first one I want to bring forth, and I think it's a very important one, is this church was a worshiping church. Now, if you're taking notes, you could write that down, a worshiping church. Church. Now, I want, to, I want to show you where I get that. Look in verse um, 2, it says, as they ministered to the Lord. Now, I have that phrase underlined in my Bible. They ministered to the Lord. Now, 
The word minister or serve is a very common English word in our Bible. Usually, the word minister means to serve, and it's a translation from the Greek word diakonos, where we get our word deacon. A diakonos is a table waiter. He's a servant. He would be the person who would offer to assist you, offer to help you. He's a servant. And that that word is translated sometimes as minister. But this word, minister, in verse 2, is not translated from the Greek word diakonos. It's translated from the word liturgio, which sounds like what? Liturgy. Now, we don't talk about liturgy in Baptist churches, but liturgy is a word that has to do with worship. It's a, it's a, if they, when it says they ministered to the Lord, it doesn't mean they were working. Now, we ought to work for the Lord. But the word there, that's a text. <laughs> the word there, I hope that's not my phone again. The word there, minister to the Lord, please don't miss this, this is very important. The word minister there means they worshiped the Lord. They were worshiping the Lord. Now when I think about evangelism or witnessing or missions work, I don't necessarily connect that with worshiping, but this is something that I think is often overlooked when you think about being missions-minded. Their worship was God-centered. They were focused on God in church. They weren't thinking about their friends or who's here, who's not here, what that person's wearing, what we're going to do when we get out of here. They weren't thinking about this stuff. They were worshiping the Lord. They ministered to the Lord. And when we come together, when we come together as we have tonight, I mean, there's stuff going on. We greet people. We welcome people. We, we catch up on what's been going on in people's lives or activities today. We do all this stuff. But when it comes time to get into the worship service, our focus should be on the Lord. We're worshiping the Lord. They're, they were, they're, this, this whole matter of singing and giving thanks to God and praying and responding to God's word and what he has to say, all of that is a part of worship. And when we're worshiping the Lord, when we're ministering to the Lord, when we're focused on the Lord, it just makes sense that God is able to work in our lives. I think sometimes God is restricted because he has a hard time getting our attention. Even in church sometimes, he has a hard time getting our attention. And so to me, what is this saying when it says, verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord... And fasted, the Holy Ghost said. This they were they were focused on the Lord. I mean, people can get distracted by some of the smallest things, right? Like a cell phone, for instance. So people we can. People can just, they'll get distracted by some song they like or don't like, or I don't I don't particularly like that song. And they I want to tell you, worship is about meeting with God. It, you know what? I can worship the Lord when it, the songs may not be exactly what I would have chosen, but I'm not, it's not about me getting my songs. It's about me meeting with God. 
It's about seeing God work in our life. It's about being surrendered to God, loving God, yielding ourselves to God. There's a difference in singing songs and really worshiping God. They ministered to the Lord. It was a worshiping church. You know, worship is not all about feelings, right? In, in the book of Genesis, God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him there. Offer your son as a burnt offering, sacrifice. And this is what Abram said to his servants that were with him. I and the lad are going up yonder to worship. I'm sure he didn't have a warm, fuzzy feeling about that. Right? But you know what he was doing? He was giving God what God wanted. And he was doing it by faith. Even though it probably went against every human emotion he had. I'm just telling you, Worship is God-focused. And remember this, remember this passage in, in Isaiah chapter 6 when it says, and I'm not going to quote it exactly, but it says in verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And he goes on to say, he saw these angelic beings. And then he said, he saw himself in this light. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And then he says this. I heard the voice of the Lord saying unto me, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Think about that. He's in this very powerful, unique worship experience. He saw the Lord. He was worshiping God. And then in that atmosphere, he heard God saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? What, what, what contributed to Isaiah seeing and hearing that? He was worshiping the Lord. He was worshiping God. God directs a church and an atmosphere of sincere worship. So if this, is, if this church, and we're going to notice a few other things about this church here in Antioch, but this church, the first thing we learn about them is they, worship, they minister to the Lord. And, and so I just want to ask this question when we go to the second point. What about my life? What about my worship life? What about your life? If you were to, if you were to grade or gauge yourself on how much when you come to the house of God, you are sincerely and genuinely and heart, from your heart worshiping God. How, what kind of a grade could you give yourself? Because if we come and go and we haven't really met with God, then we're not only hurting ourselves, we're hurting the cause. We're hurting the cause of Christ. Because this church was a worshiping church and the Lord spoke to them in that atmosphere and said, this is what I want you to do. So, so what does a missionary church look like? These are practical things that I think all of us could work on to improve our missionary footprint in the world. 
It was a worshiping church. This kind of fits into the second. The second one fits into that, but it's unique also. I want to say, I want to say secondly, it was a spiritual church. It was a spiritual church, spiritual as being something not carnal. You know, spiritual means that they were spirit-minded, led by the spirit. And I want to, I want to just look at a few verses in the chapter previous uh, to this, a couple of chapters earlier than this, where we really read about the beginning of the church at Antioch. We actually have a description, a play-by-play on how this church came into existence. And I want to read a few verses from that. Acts chapter 11 and verse 22. It says, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. What was happening in the Antioch was was carried, communicated to the church in Jerusalem. And they, the church in Jerusalem, sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. Who, verse 23 says, when he came, when Barnabas came from Jerusalem and had seen the grace of God in the church there at Antioch, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And if you read down to verse, um, let's just read a few other verses. Verse 24, for he, talking about Barnabas, was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Saul came to Antioch as a result of Barnabas' friendship. Verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And notice this, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now I use this passage because this gives us really some insight into the spiritual condition of this church. It was producing mature believers Um, they were being taught, it says in verses 22 and 23, to cleave unto the Lord. These people were serious disciples. I hope you understand when I say serious disciples, I mean these people weren't just saying they were Christians. These were followers of Jesus Christ. The word cleave unto the Lord is not talking about keeping yourself saved. The word means to glue, to adhere to. They stayed close to God. These people were serious about it. They were serious followers of Jesus Christ. They cleaved to the Lord. Notice the phrase that it uses in verse 23, with purpose of heart. Now, I can't, you can't describe this. I can't fully describe what this means. But there's a difference in a person just giving lip service to Christ and a person who is purposing in their heart that they're going to be followers of Christ and follow the teachings of Christ. These were serious disciples. They were cleaving to the Lord. They were faithfully assembling, it says in verse 26, and they assembled themselves with that church for a year. And so much so that verse 26 says, for the first time ever, people begin to call them Christians. Christians, little Jesuses, little Christ, followers of Christ. When's the last time 
a person, and I'm sure this has happened to some of you. You are maybe at work or in your family, around your family, around some friends, and, and people notice something different about you, and they say, are you a Christian? Or, you, know, so, you know what I'm saying? These people are serious followers of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the kind of church that sent these missionaries out. First of all, they were a worshiping church. They loved God. And they were serious about adoring Him and surrendering to Him and loving Him back. And they were spiritually minded people. The Bible says, back to our text in chapter 13 and verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said... God was speaking, and they were listening. Now, God has spoken to us in his word, and if you're waiting on God to speak to you in some audible voice, he's not going to do that because he's given the revelation of himself and his will and his word, but God still speaks through his word. There's no doubt in my mind that God, God, let me know in no uncertain terms that he wanted me to give my life to preaching the gospel. That was many, many years ago. Now, God didn't speak to me audibly, but he communicated to my heart through his word. He spoke to me through his word. The Holy Ghost said, God was directing. You know, you know who the missionary of, or the director, I should say, of missionary activity is? It's the Spirit of God. It's God. God directs missionary activity. I'm sure there are people sitting here tonight. Some of these young people. I'm sure there are people here tonight that if God had his complete will in our life, we'd have some, some people sitting in this room that someday would prepare their life and go to serve the Lord in the work of missions. I'm confident of that. There are far too many places with far too few preachers. And it's not because God does not want people to hear. It's a lot of times because we're not positioned to hear what God wants us to do. So the Holy Ghost said, missionary work, as you know, depends on the leadership of God. We need God's direction. We've emphasized this before, especially when it came to uh, Brother Moore in their uh, transition to Botswana as a place of service. But we thought a lot at that time about you know, Paul's second missionary journey, when he, was, when he was wanting to go north, he stayed in the region of going north into Asia. Bithynia was the place that the Bible describes there in Acts chapter 16. And yet they couldn't get peace about it. They couldn't, they couldn't he didn't feel good about it. And they just waited. And, and then the Lord redirected them to go a completely different direction, west across the Aegean Sea to a region known as Macedonia. And it's there on that missionary journey that the church at Philippi was begun. And Berea, the work in Berea, and Thessalonica, and on further south to Athens and Corinth. You know why? Because they were listening to God's direction. We need God's direction. By the way, we don't just need God's direction for missionary work. We need God's direction for our lives. But these were spiritually minded people. They wanted, they wanted to know what God wanted them to do. That's important in this matter of missions. You say, well, I want our missionary to know God's will. But you know what? We need to all know God's will. By the way, we're talking about 
what we're going to commit for a year to support world missions. How are we going to know that? Do we just look at our budget and look at the bottom line or, or say, this is, I think I could give this? Why don't we say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What, how do you want me to respond to this? Imagine, imagine these young people here tonight. What if you, young guys, what if you prayerfully ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do in this matter of missions, and God could lead you in your heart to say, this is what I want you to do. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? They were a spiritual church. We need God's direction. Think about Philip, who was enjoying a successful ministry in Samaria. You remember that, Acts chapter 8. God said to him, I want you to go to a desert place, Gaza, we would say, Gazer, Gaza. And he went down there not even knowing exactly what he's going to do. And then the Spirit of the Lord said to him, go join yourself to this chariot. And a man got saved that took the gospel to Ethiopia, to the African continent. You know why? Because they were listening to the Lord. They were letting God lead them. When's the last time you did something in your life and you knew you were doing that as a direct result of God's leadership in your life. God knows what's best. In this matter of missions, God knows what's best. We need his help. We need his leadership. We need to be spiritually minded people. Peter had spent a whole night fishing. Luke chapter 5, caught nothing. And the Lord instructed him to go out and to let down his nets for a drought. That means a, more than a stringer full. It's a bunch of fish. And Simon answered and said, Master, we've toiled all night. We've, we've been at this all night. We've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, we'll let down the net. Guess what? They brought in a haul of fish, right? You know why? Because they were following God's leadership. God blesses in an atmosphere of worship. And God blesses where we're seeking to be spiritually. That's not mean we're super saint. That doesn't mean we have a spiritual pride. It just means we want to be sensitive to the Lord and let God lead us in our life. Where does God get his missionaries? Where does, where does God... Where does God give, where does God find, where does God employ men and women who will hold the ropes in prayer and intercede for missionaries and pray for them? Where does God get those people? He gets them in churches. Right? He gets them in churches. Where does God get the people that are going to contribute to finance, to help give toward missionary endeavors, to send missionaries to the field. I'm sure you think about this or know this, but if a, if a person were to say, let's just imagine someone in our church uh, were to come forward and they've been prepared and trained and they're ready to go to the mission field. They say, I believe God wants me to go and we can figure out where that is. What does it cost them? It's going to cost them several thousand dollars a month to to to, to Make it in such an endeavor. Several thousand dollars a month. Where are they going to get that money? Well, 
Our church would support them. Other churches would support them. They have to go and visit other churches, just like the people who are here this week visiting our church. They visit a church in hopes that that church or some church would say, hey, we're, we're going to partner with you. We'll commit a certain amount of money to help you. Where, where, does, the, where does the money come from? Where, does the, where do the labors come from? Where does the prayer come from, the intercession come from? It comes from churches just like this. And if we were to think about and try to calculate why that we're losing ground in missionary endeavors, one of the places we have to look is at the condition of the churches, right? That's where you have to look. And we could look and say, well, why don't we have more people like Paul and Barnabas? Why don't we have more people that are taking the gospel? And by the way, we know some many outstanding, faithful servants of God that are serving God around the world. But you know where it starts? It starts in churches. This was a, this was a worshiping church. By that I mean God was, God was the center of their worship. God can speak to people in that atmosphere. Second of all, it was a spiritually minded church. They were sensitive to the Lord. A third thing, and I've already mentioned it a couple of times, that I want to I want to mention again is also found in verse 2 and verse 3. Verse 2 it says, as they ministered the Lord and fasted. And verse 3 says, and when they had fasted and prayed. So not only was it a worshiping church and a spiritual church but thirdly it was a praying church now that kind of goes with a spiritual church but they were these these people were praying they were seeking the lord and it doesn't even say that they were praying about missions they could have been praying about missions but they were just praying praying together as a church i've been teaching us about this some on wednesday nights recently about just corporate praying praying together because it's so biblical and yet it's so foreign for some people to pray together, to earnestly pray. This was a pray. They were fasting and praying. And we've made note of this in some of those Wednesday night lessons that Paul verbalized his appreciation for their prayers. The church at Corinth, the church at Philippi, he specifically said, God's going to deliver me through your prayers. God's going to use your prayers to deliver me. Mission, hey, missionary work is spiritual warfare. Now, I don't know how much you think about this in your life, think about it as a Christian, but try to focus on this for just a moment. We're in a spiritual battle. All of us are. The devil fights what we want to do. He fights what you want to do in your family. If you're trying to raise your children to serve the Lord, he's going to fight against that. He's going to, if you're trying to win people to Christ on the job, he's going to fight. The devil hates what we're doing. But imagine the spiritual warfare that many of our missionaries are facing when they're in very difficult circumstances where, where paganism and, and idol worship and all kinds of, of antichrist sentiment exists and they're going to a foreign country to set up shop and try to start from scratch and find people that are interested and win people to Christ. You think the devil doesn't fight that? It's spirit. This is spiritual warfare. We need to pray for them. If you never go to a mission field, we need to learn to pray for missionaries. That's one of the reasons why our church 
identifies a person every week, a missionary every week. We're going to pray specifically for that missionary and for their families and for their needs. Pray for their children. Brother Taylor brought an excellent message about praying. If you haven't heard that message last week, you ought to get that online and listen. An outstanding message about praying, praying for the missionaries, how we pray for missionaries. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for laborers. Jesus is the one that said it. You know, I, I'm, I can tell you for a fact, the laborers are few. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. But Jesus is the one who said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Paul said, pray for me that doors would open up. Pray that God would open doors for me. So I ask the question tonight, you know, how about your prayer life? How about my prayer life? When it comes to praying, earnestly praying, specifically praying, seriously praying, faithfully praying for the work of missions. I personally know of numerous missionaries that are no longer on the field or serving the Lord because of spiritual problems and situations and discouragement. Not, these things are real. Hey, we need more people on the field, not less people. This church, this, this church that I think personally does not get the attention it deserves, this church was a praying church. They were praying when this all took place. This church is a spiritual church. They heard God speaking and they obeyed God. It was a worshiping church. And the last thing I want to mention is more implied than printed in this passage but they were a willing church. Imagine, imagine if you had Paul and Barnabas in your church. Imagine that. Barnabas leading the follow-up and encouragement ministry of the church. He was a son of consolation. He was known for his encouragement put Paul in charge of evangelism and outreach <laughs> you know what if Paul and Barnabas was in a church where I was a member I wouldn't want to see him leave would you I'd, I could think of some other people I could say take them <laughs> but you know what there was no argument from the church God asked for their best. And as far as the church, as far as we know from the Bible, there was no argument from the church. And there was no argument from the missionaries. They gladly went. That's why I say this was a willing church. You know, how willing are we I'm not talking about just for a Paul or Barnabas. I'm just talking about how willing. Think about this. How willing. This, this church was willing. We have no reason to believe that prior to this, Paul and Barnabas had considered leaving. They were worshiping. They were praying. They were sensitive to the Spirit of God. And God said, Separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto I have called them. And they were willing to do it. 
You know, I think the Moors should be willing to go to Africa, don't you? I think they should. Or if they, they were in Nicaragua and they were considering going to South America. But you know what I think? I think everybody in the church ought to be willing to do whatever God wants us to do. Would you please process this in your mind tonight? Why should the preacher be more willing to obey the Lord than you are? Right? What if God wants you to be a missionary? Would you be willing? As you sit there tonight, and God, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying this to be disrespectful or, but there, there are probably people sitting here and if, and if God spoke to you and said, I want to give you the ability and I want you to be a professional athlete, you would probably be elated, <laughs> right? Would you be just as willing to be a missionary? Parents, would you be willing for your children to be missionaries and raise your grandchildren in a foreign country and you might only see them every three or four or five years or so? He said, why are you asking these things? Because I think this church was a willing church. I think a missionary church has got to be willing. What if God wanted you to be a Sunday school teacher? What if God wanted you, when we start our buses back up, to be a worker on a bus route? I may be wrong about this, but I think a lot of people come to church, and they're willing to come to church, but they're not willing to do much more than that. You say, what should I be willing to do? Glad you asked. <laughs> I think we should be willing to do anything God wants us to do. And you don't, it doesn't work this way where God says, this is what I want you to do, and then you decide if you're willing. I think, they ought to work, I think it works the other way. We're just willing to do whatever God wants us to do, and then God can show us what he wants us to do. <clears throat> what if God wants you to get involved in a greater way in your giving? My wife and I were talking as we're driving to church tonight about uh, one aspect of the message this morning about um, how this, how Paul, Paul gave this church a command, an order. And I said to her, that's pretty serious. For a lot of people to say this is an order from God, you know, I think anybody, I think any true Christian should be willing to say, God, if that's what you want me to do, then I'm going to do that, right? It's a and she said, and she made a valid point. She said, well, you're talking about something's very precious, though, to people, and that's their money. And I, you know what? That's true. And the love of money is the root of all evil. But there's something more precious than our money, and that's our relationship to Jesus Christ. If your relationship to Jesus Christ doesn't mean more to you than money, then something's wrong in your relationship. 
with money and with Jesus. We ought to be willing. Are we willing? Are we willing? What if, what if every member of this church, Mount Zion Baptist Church, was willing to do whatever God wanted them to do? You know what? It'd be, it'd be amazing. What about yours? So let's think about this, this church now. What about your worship, your relationship to God, your sincere your sincere relationship to God when we come together and you're listening for the Lord to speak to you, you're sensitive to the Lord, you're yielded to God, you're seeking the Lord, you're willing to do whatever God wants you to do. I want to suggest to you now, that's the goal. That ought to be our goal. Not just because it's missions conference, but because that's what the Bible wants out of our life. I've, I've asked this question more than once, but I want to ask it again. What if, just think about this right now, tonight, right where you sit. What if every member of this church was just like me? Would this be a stronger church? Or would this be a weaker church? And you know what? None of us are perfect, right? None of us are. I'm not. You're not. We all make mistakes. We all fail. We all are, you know, regret things we do. But I'm telling you, we ought to be serious about the Lord's work. Amen? Amen. Amen? This wasn't a perfect church. But it was a worshiping church. They ministered to the Lord. It was a spiritual church. They were growing. They were in discipleship. They were faithfully attending. They're being taught the word of God. They're growing spiritually. They're spiritually in tune that God, when God spoke, they responded. They were praying. And they were surrendered and willing. Lord, whatever you want, that's what we want. Would you make that your goal, your desire tonight? Let's bow our heads together for prayer. With our heads bowed this evening, in just a moment the piano will be playing, but let's just think about this tonight. Could we personalize this in such a way that we're not thinking about other people and what their response is or what are my friends thinking or but let's just personalize it. You know, it's very possible to be straight as an arrow on your doctrine and my doctrine, Bible doctrine, and really not be in the best place spiritually. And the, the, the thing that speaks to me out of this passage and this message is... That our relationship to God doesn't just affect us. It affects others. It affects the work of God. The will of God going forward. Our Father, as we pray this evening, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for the pattern of the church at Antioch. That they were the church that you called Paul and Barnabas out of and sent them out to be missionaries 
And Father, I pray that tonight, as only you can, that you would just help us individually to connect with what you want us to get out of this message. And fathers, we think about missions, we think about world evangelization, we think about our purpose and our role in it. I pray, Lord, tonight that you would direct us. Help us to be in a place that you can direct us. Help us to be willing to do whatever it is you want us to do.